Previously, on Saratoga Lights. Is there anything I can help you with this evening? Report came through of some vagrants loitering out behind Casey's shop. How about this? I kill your girlfriend behind the bar. There is no you and me no more. I kill your brother. I don't know if I can make it right. Do you want to? I kill every last soul in this establishment. You want to be an outlaw? This is outlaw living. And then I kill you. I'll return shortly, Magnolia. Keep the cornbread warm for me. Saratoga Lights, Season 2, Episode 5, Down on Bragg Road. Bradford takes another drink of his beer as the pine trees tower over him and William. The campfire between the two slowly diminishing. There's a story around these parts. An old brakeman that was working on the line. Santa Fe was working him like a dog. Days on end. And it got to be too much. He just fell asleep on the job. Train came in too fast. Jumped the tracks. One of the cars decapitated the poor son of a bitch. They say you can still see his ghost. Carried around a lantern. Right out here on Bragg Road. That's um. They say he's out there looking for his head, and once he finds it, he'll go up and down the line and kill every employee of the Santa Fe Railroad that he comes across. Of course, the railroad hasn't run through here in decades, but that won't stop him from getting his revenge. Oh no, I reckon he'll slaughter everyone he finds out in these woods. I'm sure that scares all the kiddies at summer camp. Bradford grins. William pokes at the fire. Why are you out here? I'm just trying to get by. Bullshit. You could be doing anything, but you made a choice to be here. <laughs> you didn't give me much of a choice. I did what I did. To protect me and my brother. Why don't you just set out on your own? Go be a postman, dentist, anything. I'm sure Lucas wouldn't mind. <laughs> you wouldn't let that happen. Sure I would. Things have been pretty meager as of late. You'd be one less mouth to feed. Nah, you wouldn't let that happen because you need me. I do. <laughs> Damn right you do. <sighs> you got a silver tongue, Bradford, but... You ain't never killed anyone. And you never could kill anyone. I swear you have me around. Feet to the fire. I have what it takes to kill someone. You don't. You so sure about that? Yeah. You're all talk. No one's ever stepped up to the plate and called you on it. 
Now you're master of bullshit. I give you that, but you don't have the balls to back it up. Bradford grins again. He throws his empty beer bottle into the woods. I need to go relieve myself. Bradford gets up and leaves. William watches him out of the corner of his eye. Avid's patrol car pulls off the highway towards a large metal shop surrounded on all sides by a gravel parking lot. The sign on the side of the building reads, Casey's Auto Supply, LLC. A name which gives some air of legitimacy to an operation that is uh, little more than the hobby of a pack rat. Judging by the mountains of discarded car parts and Casey's penchant for spitting into his hand before making a deal in lieu of actual paper receipts, Avid doubts Casey went through the trouble of legally structuring his business as one, rather just choosing to put it on a sign because it sounded good. He pulls around to the back and sees Casey dimly lit under the security spotlight mounted towards the top of the shop waving a nickel revolver at the tree line that stands about 20 yards past the end of the gravel. Avid can't make out what Casey's yelling, but can rightly assume, based on the frequency of which he's flailing his arms, that something has gotten his goat. Evening, Casey. Avid! Some no-good vagrants are out in those woods. You need to run them off. I don't want them thieving any of my parts again. How many are out there? Hundreds! This goddamn economical contraction is sending all kind of rough raff and shanty gangs down here. Did you see hundreds tonight, Casey? I saw two or three, but I know there's a hundred out there in the woods just watching, just waiting for me to slumber. Then they'll snicker by and consume my livelihood like a brood of Nosferatu's sucking my blood. All right. I'll check it out. Avid pulls out his flashlight and marches out to the tree line. Dutifully, he looks behind every pile of junk along the property line, scanning the visible horizon for signs of any disturbances or trespasses. Hey, there's one of them, Avid! The shrill voice cuts across the parking lot. Eight lads, Strigoi! Avid looks up to see Casey aiming his gun at a scrawny-looking cowboy who is positioned about 30 yards the opposite direction appearing to have just made his way down from the highway. Put the piece down, Casey. Get off my property, bloodsucker. You can't thieve no piece of my business. The cowboy is frozen with the amusement of a senile old man yelling at him, and the fear of violence, naturally inherent, with the presence of guns. Avit cautiously approaches him, mindful of his surroundings and on guard for any possibility but going out of his way to not be a threatening figure to a stranger, knowing full well that trust was currently being built between the two men even before words could be exchanged. His gun is holstered, holding only his flashlight which he shines on the ground in front of him as he walks, making sure to keep his other hand visible and to avoid any sudden movements that might scare the suspect. Where are you heading to this evening? Just out for a walk. Do you have any ID on you? No, sir. Well, what's your name? Uh, Lucas. You live around these parts, Lucas? No, sir. Okay. I need you to turn around and place your hands behind your back. 
He returns his flashlight to the belt holster and pulls out a pair of metal cuffs, just as shined and polished as the badge that adorns his chest. Gently, but with authority that leaves no doubt as to the power dynamic between the two men, as vested by the state of Texas, Avid turns Lucas and begins to place the cuffs on his wrists. I wasn't aware it was illegal to go for a stroll in this county. It's not, but trespassing is. You're camping out in those woods, aren't you? Well, old Casey owns the property, and he does not like it when people are loitering on it after dark. Back to hell, you no-good demon! I'm pretty sure he wants to press charges. Wait, wait! You know that carjacking that happened today on 105? Yeah. The guy that did it is right over there. Bradford Molina. The meanest, cruelest man to walk across the Lone Star State. I heard it was two guys and a lady that did it. It was Bradford. Bradford Molina. He's the one that's been running from town to town, robbing all kinds of people for months now. That's so. Fifteen jobs over the last three months, each netting at least $500 in cash and jewelry. How is it that you came by this information? He kidnapped me and my brother. Said if we didn't help him, he'd kill us. Please, you have to help us. I just want to go home. I've been doing this for a while now. And do you know what everyone says when I put the cuffs on them? It wasn't me. So you'll have to forgive me for not running out into the dark woods just because you say so. I am not playing with you. This is not a game, and it is not some kind of ruse. Please, I'll go with you. I'll go into the station, but you have to get Bradford. Something that sets Avid apart from his fellow deputies is his ability to rightly judge a man's character. At first mistaken as the naivete of a lawman, still wet behind the ears, his co-workers, and more importantly Sheriff Hardigan, slowly came to realize his seemingly sixth sense and took advantage of it. He quickly rose through the ranks and curried favor with most of the people in the towns that he has purview over. Avit would never boast about this particular skill, though Maggie once said not even God himself could rightly divine a man's heart as Avit seemed to be able to. Aside from the tinge of blasphemy, it's one of the greatest compliments Avit ever received from his wife. Avit looks at Lucas, then reaches for the radio clipped to his shoulder lapel. Nancy? Go for dispatch. I'm responding to that call over at Casey's. Can you send any available units to my location? I have a suspect in that carjacking from earlier. You got it, Avid. He's just out here? Yes. Yes, sir. Let's go take a look. Avid pulls his flashlight from his belt and illuminates the path in front as Lucas leads them into the woods. Urine splashes on a boot. Bradford sees it, but doesn't much care. That goddamn smart aleck know-it-all has another thing coming, he thinks to himself, wrapped in anger about William and his condescension. As he relieves himself, a sense of unease suddenly hits him, a feeling that something is watching him in this otherwise secluded corner of the woods. The stream slows to a trickle, and he stealthily unsheathes the large hunting knife from his hip. <laughs> hey, sailor. Wanna make a few bucks? With a surprising amount of agility given his large frame, 
Bradford spins around and brings his knife down swiftly into the chest of his would-be attacker. However, there's no blood and there are no screams. What the hell are you? Old Scratch wants to see you. The wayfish, intoxicating figure pulls the knife from her chest and offers it to Bradford, who takes it silently. He examines the blade, covered not in blood but in a black, viscous substance reminiscent of tar. Bradford looks at the figure again and notices for the first time that her eyes are black, soulless voids where no white pigment has found purchase. I can take you to him. You're gonna need to shed a little blood first. William is by the campfire. He hears a distant noise and turns his head to look. He squints through the dense forest and sees a small glowing light bouncing around through the trees. He stands. The light is getting bigger as it moves towards him. William pulls his gun out and points it at the light, praying that it is merely a wandering passerby instead of a ghostly apparition with evil intent. His gun won't be of any value if it's the latter. From out of the darkness, Lucas appears, followed by Avid. William breathes a sigh of relief and slightly drops his gun. You about gave me a heart attack. Deputy Sheriff, drop the weapon! Avid sees William's gun for the first time and draws his own. He firms up his grip on Lucas and makes his aim sure, finger resting just above his trigger. William responds in kind. That's not him! That's my brother! Hey, where's Bradford? Drop the weapon! William, where's Bradford? You first, cowboy. That's not Bradford! Bradford's the one you want! He robbed all those people, not us! Please, just listen! Ava kicks the back of Lucas's knees and forces him to the ground, giving him greater control of his prisoner. Fully exposed to William now, Avert repeats his earlier command. Hardin County Sheriff, drop the gun. Mister, I don't care who you are. I've killed dozens of men for raising their peace of me, and I will not hesitate to do the same to you. He's lying! He didn't do anything! Bradford's a monster! God, please stop! I forced him to do it! Bradford tricked me! Last chance, friend. From out of the darkness behind him, the face of Bradford appears. He moves in slowly, silently. Bradford brings a knife up to Avid's throat and cuts. It's methodical, precise. Avid tries to scream but can't. Not even air can escape his mouth at this point. Blood flows down and turns his white undershirt a dark crimson washing over his neatly pressed uniform and badge before hitting the ground around his boots. Lucas falls forward with his hands still cuffed behind him and kicks his feet against the topsoil, scurrying to a point of safety, but sure to never have his back towards the carnage. Bradford grabs Avid's gun with his left hand and continues to slice across the neck. Avid's eyes are big and white. He's grasping for life reaching his hands up to the knife, trying to reach Bradford behind him, trying to punch him, trying to do anything. Shh. Everything will be just fine. Bradford finishes his cut as the last bit of life leaves Avid. He releases him, and Avid falls face first to the ground, 
so close to the fire that his hair starts to singe, releasing a pungent scent to be inhaled by the remaining trio. Uh, I'm sorry. That wasn't... Bradford, please. Please. Bradford is staring down at Lucas, emotionless, expressionless, just pure evil peering into his soul. Whatever you're thinking, don't. Bradford's eyes glance up at William, who's holstering his weapon. The money's drying up out here. All right, whole town's just shutting down. What do we, what do we get from our last job? A hundred bucks? We can't live off of that. Banks. That's where the real money is. We, we planned some bank jobs, and we'll be back on our feet. Lucas here, he knows banks. Please. He used to run with a crew that did banks. So let's, let's just put this... This behind us, bygones be bygones. Let's go make some real money, okay? Is anyone else coming? Lucas is non-responsive. The smell of burnt hair and iron fills his nostrils as he stares at the body of Avid. Lucas. He's shaken from his stupor to see William looking at him. Did he call for backup? Yeah. More of them will be out here soon. Come on, Bradford. Bradford kneels down to the recently deceased and begins to rifle through his body with all the care and respect of a feral hog at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Bradford grabs Avid's gun and wallet. He pulls some folded bills out and is about to toss it when a picture catches his eye. It's a posed wedding portrait of a young blonde woman grinning ear to ear. Pretty little thing, he thinks to himself. He flips it over to see the writing on the back. My dear Magnolia. Bradford grabs the handcuff keys out of Avid's front pocket and tosses them to William. Let's go. Bradford walks past Lucas and William and disappears into the darkness. William quickly gets the cuffs off of Lucas and starts gathering the few pieces of gear he has at the campsite. Come on. William stuffs everything into his duffel and starts to follow Bradford's path. He turns back to see Lucas staring back towards the highway. Lucas, let's go. We have to go back. That is not an option. The highway's right there. We can be saved. I... I can make it right. If we go that way, we're dead men. Bradford gets away, and we get pinned with murder on a cop. Is that what you want? No. Neither do I. Look, if we continue with Bradford, we, at least we have a fighting chance of getting out of this alive. I'm sorry for all this business, William. God, I'm sorry. I'll get us out of this. Listen to me. I will get us out of this, but we just need to go now. Where are you? William and Lucas set out, running into the darkness following the path of Bradford. This was in Texas. Saratoga Lights is written and directed by Randall LaRue. Audio recording and engineering by Matthew David Rudd. Music by Randy Reynolds. This episode featured the voice talents of Brian Villalobos, Freddie Hines, Matt Fitzgerald, Ryan Colt Levy, Valerie Rose Lohman, Heath Allen, Caitlin Elizabeth, Brooke Chalmers, 
and Matthew David Rudd. Until next time. And on the third day, the angel Gabriel said to Mary at the empty tomb, Be not afraid, he is risen. Thanks, Gabe, but I knew you one better. I'll raise your car from the dead on the first day and get you the parts you need or it's free. Car clunking, belt squealing, fender falling. It don't matter what part or even what decade your car is from. We have it at Casey's Auto Supply, LLC. We have everything you need to get your auto up and running again. We even got parts for them exotics from the Far East. Renfield drains, fiddling pins, calfernators, Casey's Auto Supply, LLC, has it all. The LLC stands for Limited Liability Corporation, properly filed with the tax man, unlike the other guys. Mention this advertisement, get a free set of spark plugs. Just ask for me, Casey. Off of Highway 121, look for the sign. Uh, excuse me.